Blog Talk Radio. Welcome in here to MyW Sports Sports Monday, another show, another week gone by, and a lot of activity in the world of sports. Luis Sanchez joined alongside Eric Ayala. We have some special guests tonight as well. EA, a lot to get to. I'm really excited for tonight's show. The big news coming out was uh, NWHL action this weekend, and uh, we have NWHL our weekend wrap-up, as well as the CWHL weekend wrap-up. We have some NCAA field hockey action as the national champion was crowned this past Sunday. NCAA basketball is underway. We also have some NCAA soccer updates. Uh, and we also have a fun fact of the week, as this is our one-year show on MyW Sports, Sports Monday. We're really excited to have been podcasting about women's sports, women in sports, and bringing you live feedback uh, every week for the past year. Uh, EA, what are your thoughts of, of this kind of milestone for us? I mean, it's crazy that it's, uh, you know, it's, been this long that we've been in the game so to speak but happy to be here and there's certainly a lot to recap from uh from this year so pretty excited to get into it uh speaking of we'll talk about some lpga action aria jutanagarn dang it i had it earlier jutanagarn <laughs> she wins the cme group championship earning a one million dollar prize purse and um she is the lpga player of the year for 2016 that's great news we'll try to get to the lpga action a little bit later uh in our show as we get ready to get into the national women's hockey league and tonight we have two special guests joining us in tatiana rafter and ashley johnson of the new york riveters uh if you haven't heard yet thursday evening news broke that the nwhl players salaries would be cut in order to keep the league sustainable. Today, we welcome these two players to discuss how this news will impact them and maybe others around the league, as well as the NWHL. So with that being said, Tatiana, I'll go with you first. Can you kind of, well, thank you for joining us, first of all. Uh, It's really a pleasure to have both of you on the show today. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thank you very much. So we're really excited to get into this conversation. We've been real big proponents of the league since, since it started last, uh, last March. So can you take us a little bit, and Tatiana, you first, and then Ashley, you can jump on. Can you just take us a little bit through uh, the timeline of the pay cuts and when you heard about the news first? Uh, yeah. Oh, you want me to go first, though? <laughs> 
Okay. Um, I we first heard about them as a team uh, that Thursday evening this week, um, and we really didn't know that it was coming. Like on my side. Um, so, but Ashley, it might be different. Take it away. <laughs> Yeah, so I found out a little bit before the rest of the team because um, I was uh, one of the player reps for the New York team. So I found out on a conference call about 30 minutes before everybody was at practice. Um, yeah, and it was just, it was, you know, that's tough news to receive. It's pretty, it's heartbreaking. It's, uh, it's not something you ever want to hear. Absolutely. And, you know, actually, just to jump on that point, it's not something you really want to hear. Um, can you just go a little bit in depth on, on your initial reactions and, and what it meant to you knowing that you've invested so much in the league? Um, you know, like, I think the word that I've been using continually is, like, gut-wrenching. Um, that moment where you're just like, wait, did I really just hear that? Uh, your stomach kind of sinks, your heart sinks, and... Uh, then you start asking all the all the questions that go through, and you start having all the emotions, the frustration, the sadness, the anger, um, and it's just it's never it's never a good day. And Tatiana, I'll put that same question on you as well. What what did it mean for you? What were your initial reactions when you first heard having that different kind of perspective? I guess I was sitting there and just kind of trying to digest what I was hearing. And I think it was about, I think, 10, 15 minutes in our team discussion, it kind of hit me what that's going to look like for me uh, in a realistic sense. Um, like being Canadian, hockey is my only job um, to live off of with my overseas self. And so I just kind of realized that it, it will be possible for me to live um, with what I'm going to be offered financially right now. Um, so it looked like something like 600, 650 a month, and that's my rent alone. So, I mean, now that it's all sunk in a little bit, it's been, I think, very positive, especially from our team. I think everyone's really wanting to try to make something work and uh, brainstorm how we get to this next steps. I mean, for me personally, um, the next couple of weeks are going to be hard because I'm going to be looking at ways where I'm going to be able to live here um, in the U.S. and be playing. Um, so it might look like maybe getting some individual sponsorship or something. I really fall in love with my life here, so I'm definitely going to try my best to make it work, but there's a very possible reality that Sunday was my last game. Yeah, I mean, that's that's really tough. And, and Tatiana, you also blogged about your experience being an international player, you know, both of you being from Canada. But um, can you talk a little bit more about other things? Got lots of feedback tonight. All right, such a hot topic. That's what it is. Um, you know, can you talk a little bit more, for both of you, about the conversations you're having with teammates about, you know, how Sunday might be the last game? What are some of the things that people are juggling and trying to make that decision? Um, I mean, with our team, I think everyone's kind of looking for solutions in that. I know a couple of my the girls I played with last year. I've been talking with Buffalo a little and. Um, my friend Devin Skeet, she's from Woodby, Ontario. She's currently living in Buffalo, and um, she's 
going to be moving home to Whitby and commuting into game right now because she just financially she won't be able to make her rent and payments so she's going to have to be moving home and um, one of my other girlfriends Paige Harrington on that team she's from Boston so it looks like she might be moving home and then commuting to our home game um, so I guess decisions like that are being made how can we financially make it work um, I know I've had some standard supporters talk to me about maybe have you thought of billeting, things like that. The reality is, you know, you sign leases, um, things like that. So um, I have a bit of a responsibility. I, I can't really get out of my lease at this point, but um, I guess just finding ways that you can make it work, essentially, and it looks a bit different for everyone else. Right. And, and so just thinking back, obviously over in between the two seasons, there was a lot of conversation about the financial viability of this league. Do you or any other players think that this could happen at any time during this season? Were there any indication that things might not be as under control as you had hoped when signing your new contract? I think any time that you sign a contract or, um, you know, work for a startup company, you kind of understand that there is that risk. Um, startup companies, and I keep referring to that because the league is really, it's only, you know, in its infancy, are going to be very um, susceptible to setbacks like this. Um, it's just it's kind of the nature of the business. Um, so, like, it's something that you kind of, you acknowledge, but then it's kind of out of sight, out of mind. So, until you first hear about, you know, like, something like a pay cut, you, you kind of just go, all right, well, I hope that doesn't happen. Right. And so, Ashley, we're going to stay with you for a little bit, Stretch. So, after these pay cuts, we hear or you guys hear that the pay cuts are happening, then the captains of the team of the four teams came together again and put out a statement to the league. So can you discuss how the captains went about coming up with uh, the four points that, that you listed using social media? Um, yeah, so, you know, there's a lot of um, pretty passionate phone calls, um, or I shouldn't say a lot. There was two pretty uh, – Pretty pretty passionate there, um, and just kind of everybody just working through it. Um, I think they just all kind of centered around um, transparency. Uh, I think that was a kind of the common theme between all those points, um, and just trying to create some unity. And just to yeah. jump off of that same point, um, also want to welcome in Kyle Westcott as well, who, who's joining us, a co-host of ours. Uh, but I want to jump off of that point as well. And, and have you guys or ladies, have you, have you received any updates on before the game or after the game on Sunday? Um, we did receive the proof of insurance, but, you know, like all those requests take time. can be done in a day or an hour or anything like that. So I, I think right now it's just time, which is kind of the irony. Everybody wants everything fast, but, um, you know, they do take a little bit of time. And just as an overview, those four points are the proof of valid insurance, 
to have a third-party audit of the league's finances, let the players know the identity of the league's investors, and to give an explanation for why the league's revenues have have diminished, um, including um, if it's sponsors that have not met their financial obligations or other things uh, to that effect. Kyle, are you still there? Yeah, can you hear me? Yeah, I got you. Got you. Hey, guys. So, sorry I'm late. Um, very great to have you on tonight. I, I just wanted to, you know, kind of jump on this and, and ask, you know, what are what are players starting to think of or, or starting to do to either reach out to new inve- investors, new sponsorships, or just to fundraise in general to help support the, the players that will struggle with the financial needs? Yeah, I think our team. Oh, sorry, I want to you. It's so hard when you can't see someone if they're talking. Um, so I think our team is really working on brainstorming that and getting a plan together um, this next week. So we currently have a team Google Doc. We're kind of adding, subtracting, um, creating some content, and um, overall, I think a big one that we're excited about is having a skate with the riveters, um, organizing some youth skates and things like that. And uh, actually, yeah. And in, in general, you know, with the financial issues, you know, are there any players that that are definitely not going to continue, whether it's now or whether it's something that they've already started talking about, but they can't do this for year three. That's a tough question. Um, I think myself, I'm trying to, my main priority I'm thinking about this year um, and how I'm going to make it work for this year. Um, And I think part of that. I've tried to um, shed some honesty to the public. I wrote a blog um, kind of exposing my reality is what I'm dealing with. Um, but overall, I think um, everyone's using this time to think and evaluate. I don't know if anyone has a definite decision at this point. And kind of going off of that point as well as you you ladies took the ice yesterday. Um, I know it's going to be different for different players, but what happens now? Do you do y'all come together and kind of create, um, you know, help create the league that you want to see in the future? Because you know, through the statements and through you know the Twitter and, and social media reactions, a lot of it is, is not. Hey, this is not financial. This is about you know doing this for a passion and for the future generations. Um, so for, for both of you, what's what's next? I think, like, for, for – oh, wait, Dad, are you going? Yeah, I'm on here. Okay, sorry. Um, I think, like, the biggest thing is, like, really, again, like, coming together as a union, exactly what you said. Like, um, kind of just, you know, taking this as a little bit of a setback, but, all right, where can we get better? Where can we improve um, this league uh, to be – exactly what we want it to be and be sustainable enough so that it is there for the future generations, which is why 
like we're all playing. Um, and then again, it's a nice because it's two weeks where we can kind of, you know, or yeah, pretty well two weeks where we can just kind of take a step back. And again, like like Pat was saying beforehand, you know, just look at your own situation where you are, and then kind of as a team, it's a really good opportunity for us to come together and really, you know, help each other out and be one big family. Yeah, and just to add to that, I think that this is a moment that it's like the the make it or break it moment. It's a really pivotal moment for women's hockey in general. I mean, in order for us to play for those those little girls growing up wanting to play and playing for their future, having somewhere for them to showcase their skills, um, we need to survive. And the best way to survive is to make this work because this league, uh, well, something similar to it, it started after around 10 years ago. And that league, I'm not actually sure what exactly happened, but ended up folding. And I think that would be just really unfortunate to uh, repeat the past when there's so much positivity and so much momentum going for everything that we're trying to do like everyone that's a part of the nwhl has a vision and i think that we're turning some heads and people are really starting to see what we're doing and that it's really bigger than the game it's something where you're giving kids like (laughs) the ability to dream essentially um that's something amazing that i think of if i have a daughter one day and and she tells me what she wants to be, I can actually tell her, um, you can be everything you want to be. And it's totally true. So I think that's just an all-encompassing point, an idea that I have behind it. Yeah. So moving on from here, um, there is a break and, you know, Coach Wiseman mentioned that at least for the Riveters, that is a full-on break. There won't be practices. Um, but are there any scheduled conversations either during the break or upon returning um, to have with the league? Is, is there some kind of meeting that's on, on the books, so to speak? Um, our team will have a meeting this week with the league. And so are those happening kind of at different dates for each team? Uh, yeah, it's just a team-by-team basis right now. And then obviously there will have to be some uh, collective work, but none of that right now has really been uh, scheduled. Ours is more some generic questions that people have. But obviously, like, just found out about the information on Thursday. You have a game on Sunday. And now, finally, that it's kind of sunk in, you start to have questions. Yeah, absolutely. And so you mentioned some of the things that, as a team, you're trying to put together and organize. Are there ways that some of the fans out there, some of our listeners who want to be supportive, what are the things that that they can do to be supportive of the teams and of the league at this juncture? I kind of lost. I don't think I have 
for those people listening at home, fans that are watching the league and watching you both, what are some things that they can do if they want to be supportive of the players and of the league at this point? I think one of the biggest things is, uh, you know, obviously coming to the game. Um, like having the fan support, seeing sellout crowds, that's huge. Um, after that, we're working on some things as a team right now, um, you know, fundraising, support, uh, donations. Um, so if anyone has any more questions or information about that, um, please feel free to uh, message me on, you know, Twitter, Instagram, whatever. Um, or Erica, I'll give you my contact information so people can message you and get it through there so we can keep everyone updated as that stuff comes live. And now, oh, sorry, go ahead. Sorry. I think, too, um, some people have reached out to help, and they want to help, but we need to give them a way that they can contribute. And um, I think that once we nail that down, that will be a lot easier, too. Because, um, yeah, obviously, this is new, so we're trying to really figure out the best ways where we can open it up. And, and I'll just mention, too, we, we talked a little bit about this yesterday while watching the game. Um, jersey sales, uh, jersey sales, all go to help support the players as well. Um, if fans can get out there and just, even if you can't make it, if you can buy tickets and just, uh, you know, any support that you can give to the players is, is going to be a huge help in, in trying to close this, this financial gap right now. So beyond that, though, um, I want to ask, you know, you guys still, even though you have this, these issues and this turmoil going on, you went out yesterday, you hosted the Connecticut Whale, and you got a huge 4 nothing win, a uh, great shutout by Fitzgerald. Talk a little bit about the win and how the team kind of stuck together through all these, these issues. Tad, I'll let you make that. <laughs> All right. I always just wait that extra second. Um, so, I mean, this win, I think, was really nice. Um, it really embodied how we came together as a team, I think, and showcased that. And um, the day we found out, um, we, we found out right before practice, and not one of us didn't go on the ice and practice. Um, we kind of have just been playing for each other and, you know, for the bigger picture. Um, also, I think it was really great that, you know, we're thinking if this happens to be the last game or something like that, how do we want to play? And we're fighting for something to put this product out there. Um, so really, I think we are just really motivated and inspired to do the best that we possibly could and leave a lasting memory out there. So I'm pretty happy to have been a part of that. All right, anything anything that you want to add there, Stretch? Um, yeah, I think like, just, uh, like that win yesterday was huge. It just kind of shows that, like just how close we are as a team and how we all kind of came together and played for each other. I know at the end of the game, you know, some of the, some of us are getting teary eyed in our little huddle there. Cause it was just like, everybody could take a deep, um, kind of, kind of deep breath for a second. Um, and just actually breathe. Cause I think 
all of us have been holding our breath so tight um, during all that time and just the stress and the uncertainty. And, you know, the one thing that we always know is you can go on the ice and, and play. Um, you can go and play hockey. And while you're on the ice for that, uh, you know, that, that game, nothing else in the world matters except for the people beside you and what's going on there. Yeah, and, you know, put everything to the side, ended up beating the Connecticut Whale four to nothing. First shutout not only of the 2016-17 season, but the first in franchise history, Katie Fitzgerald, the Twin Pipes. Um, and so, you know, you've had a lot of um, – a lot of really great contributions from the rookies, particularly for the Riveters, which comprise a pretty sizable uh, a piece of the roster. But, um, you know, Mie Dench, uh, Rebecca Russo, one shy of, of the uh, hat trick. And then finally it was Janine Weber who uh, got the final goal, an empty netter um, for nothing victory. Um, so just thinking about – some of the struggles that this franchise has had, and maybe this is more for you, Ashley, than Tatiana, but, um, you know, just, just talk about what it feels like now. Um, you know, Chad said that the team is really, and, and you both said that the team is really starting to come together. Um, assuming everything will work itself out. Um, what do you want to see the Riveters continue to do, Ashley, as, as the season goes on? I mean, when? <laughs> That's a good answer. Good answer. I like that. Yeah. Uh, but like not only win, but also like get, get better every game. Um, you know, building momentum. We want to have the most amount of momentum out of other four teams or all four teams, sorry, uh, going into playoffs. Um, hockey is such a game of momentum. You know, when you feel good, you play good. Um, and as a core, if we all, um, feel good with each other and, you know, you know where someone is, you know what someone's going to do. You just tend to get those bounces that go your way a little bit more often. Um, so I think that's a big thing, you know, continuing to be a team and support each other. Uh, you know, there's one, one thing when you're like in adversity, it kind of really shows you who you are and, and what you, what you're going to do. Um, like if you want to, um, you know, like point fingers, point blame, or if you want to come together and kind of work out of it. Um, I think that that was something that was really, um, really, really cool to see um like i remember yeah like all sitting in the locker room and um just like seeing everybody crying and then i i can't even remember who it was but just being like what can we fundraise hmm. and like all of a sudden there's a moment i was like we're gonna get through this we're gonna get out of this and like that just one question i don't know who it was but it just it changed everything it changed that room it just brought back that little bit of hope that our dream is still alive and our dream at this year for the Riveters is to raise the Isabel Cup. Um, so anything short of that will be uh, a disappointment. Well, one step closer and move into second place with that win over Connecticut, getting a little vindication for them spoiling the home opener. Um, and so before we move on to what happened in Buffalo, we just want to, again, thank you both. For, for joining us on the show and, and working through some of the technical difficulties. Um, but any last thoughts or comments um, before we wrap up? I think we've covered everything from my end. Uh, I just want to thank you guys for covering the league. Um, it's always like awesome to see media covering it. That's where we're going to get more exposure. 
Um, and just people are going to know about us. Uh, sometimes I feel like we're the best kept secret in New York City. Um, so it's definitely, thank you so much for doing this. And thank you very much for having us on the show. All right. Thank you both. And we both, and we hope to see you on the ice soon. Thanks so much. All right. Take thank care. Thank you. Thank you. And keep thank winning. You. <laughs> All right. So, I mean, wow. I'm just going to, I'm just going to put this out there. It's really nice. I mean, I know we've had Colette on the show before, but it's really nice to have some folks that uh, are speaking from the New York perspective on the show. Um, yeah. So again, we want to thank Ashley Johnson. We want to thank Tatiana Raptor for sharing their thoughts on a very difficult time for the league and certainly for the players. Um, And as Ashley mentioned, uh, reaching out to her, uh, making sure to support the league and the players and just finding ways to continue women's hockey. Um, So for those who are listening, follow us at MyW Sports and we'll make sure to um, post any updates. And it's great, like you said, to hear it from the players. To hear, you know, Ashley say that it's not just her, it's it's multiple people in that locker room that are saying, okay, what can we do now? We want to make sure that this keeps going. You know, Ashley made a great comment, you know, tonight as well as yesterday after the, the game about how these players are, are role models and these players are uh, what, what young girls are looking up to and saying, you know what, I can go play professional hockey. I can go play in college and then I can go play after college as well. And I can play for a great league and hopefully for a great team, you know, and, and that's a great thing that, that they have that opportunity now. And, and it's key and it's very important that the NWHL keeps it going. And the players like Ashley, like Tatiana, they're going to keep fighting for this and they're going to try to do whatever they can to make, make the league uh, stick around for a lot longer. Yeah, and I think um, also another thing, and it was, um, again, it was the um, Connecticut Whale that were in town. So that's um, Heather Lindstad is the head coach of the Connecticut Whale. And she was asked, you know, what were some of the conversations or what are your thoughts on on what's going on in the league? And she she kept it real. She, um, in a manner of speaking, was like, listen, I'm an OG. I've been around women's hockey since the 70s. And, you know, we have survived this far. We've been on, you know, penny-pinching budgets before. We've seen teams start up and be threatened uh, to be shut down before. So what we do from here is what we've been doing for the last 30, 40 years is we find a way to survive. And for her, you know, a a very interesting point that she made is, you know, the Connecticut Whale are in a unique position as opposed to all of the other teams. They've never had a home game. They still haven't had a home game. So, you know, she said her players um, are still trying to do what they can, but they don't know what their market is yet. They don't know what their attendance will be because they haven't had a home game yet. So so now it's up to the Whale to, while they're playing all these road games before their first for their their home opener is is finding ways to to touch base and reach out and and as um Ashley said you know not only be the best kept secret in New York but not be the best kept secret in Buffalo Connecticut or Boston either although I right. think Boston's doing a pretty okay job uh with their second shutout in a row <laughs> yeah you know what it, it it's it is still a, a little bit of a kept secret and it shouldn't be because the way that they are playing 
the way that that the, not only Brittany Ott in goal for for the Pride, but the way the team in general. You have to remember that this this win uh, over Buffalo, who's a very solid team, who played to a, a what was it two to one early in the season, went to overtime, or, or one to nothing, I forget, but but it was a one goal game in overtime early in the season, and 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 to be able to beat that team without Hillary Knight. You know, just as a as a evidence of just how strong team is, and and when Brittany Odd is on, um, you know, it's very difficult to touch the back of the net when she's standing in front of it. Yeah, yeah. You talked about the Riveters' first shutout uh, in franchise history. Brittany Ott first to go back to back shutouts in NWHL history. So, like like Kyle said, when she's on, she's on. But I also agree with that point, Kyle. You know, I think it was a two to one shootout victory that we got to see. Uh, oh, yes, in the Pride yes. Home Opener, Kyle, yeah. and, um, and and you know now to see a five-zero win again without Hillary Knight, it shows you the difference once you game plan and see a team a couple of times. And uh, the Pride, the Pride have been really good after seeing um, whether it's the Whale, the Riveters, or the Buttes, um, you know, back to back or or in um, a sequence of games. And I think this this these two teams like to play each other very closely. So so it was kind of a shock to see Boston shut them out. But it's also a good thing to see how how the depth of the pride have uh, have come to play. Yeah, I mean, and the pride, you know, they mean business. They almost doubled the shots on goal in this game. The Buttes had 24 shots on goal. The pride had 46 shots on goal. Um, you know, so this is just an offense that comes to play every single day, and they can really wreak havoc. Um, you know, and, and so you really have to give credit to all the goalies who are not Brittany Ott in the league um, because they're coming out, um, they're coming out and know that they're going to be under just a storm of shots. Um, but also it's to mention that as Hillary Knight was mi- missing, she was a healthy scratch. Kelly Stedman was uh, also not on the ice for the Buffalo Buttes. And that was a result of a suspension that she received at the second um, Buffalo versus New York game last weekend. Yeah. So, you know, yeah, yeah, and I think that, go ahead, Kyle. Sorry. I was just going to say, yeah, this, this was definitely a loss for the Buttes missing, missing Stedman. Uh, she's just such a, a big piece of their, of their whole team, not to, I don't want to say offense, defense, because she does both, you know, but her leadership as well. And, you know, this is, this is a, a penalty because of, or a, a suspension because of a, a hit that was on a, on the, the game, as you mentioned last week. And, you know, that's, it, it's tough that, that she couldn't play. I get it. You know, they're, they're, the league is trying to protect safety of players, but yet in the same respect, then this all came out the same week that we also hear all of the financial issues and maybe there is or isn't insurance that is up to date for the league. And, and it's a little curious that she, she got this suspension, as I said, the same week that, that all of those other concerns came out. Well, I'm going to respectfully disagree with you there, Kyle. Only way that could be curious is if there was some kind of conspiracy to pull her stick away from her and then have her decide to push all the way through Kira Dostal along the boards. So, I mean, I hear what you're saying. It's definitely a tough loss. And then to be suspended in the game that could, as Tatiana was saying, potentially be the last game 
either for her individually or for the league. I get that. However, that hit was massive. Um, and so I'm, it's kind of hard for me to go with a conspiracy theory as far as why she was suspended when that was a really brutal hit. Are you going dirty hit on that? I mean, did you see the video? Cause I did. <laughs> it, it was harsh. It was harsh. So, and yeah, I think you bring up a good point. And, you know, I, I hate to take it back to this, but it, it makes me kind of sad to hear that, you know, like thinking about Tatiana saying that, hey, Sunday might have been my last game. And to know that there are fans out there who, you know, for us, we followed Tatiana. We, I think we were one of the first entities to break the story that she wasn't going abroad and she was staying and um and to see that whole thing that interview uh i mean it just everything it it it, it kind of touches me because it's like we've put forth the effort in the last year just to promote this league so i can only imagine what these players are, are, are thinking about or you know in that game especially you know that boston game if kelly stedman says hey i, I can't afford to 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 live you know and, and play for for the buttes anymore we, 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 we haven't seen Stedman in a couple of weeks, you know, and I think the same thing with Hillary Knight. We, we, as Boston fans, we've seen her, I think, just a couple of times this season. So it, it, it kind of hits you a little bit because these are players that we've grown to admire and follow, um, and, and it's tough. It really is to, to hear that, you know, in the next two weeks, we, we might be seeing the end of the NWHL. Um, and although, Kyle, just to, just to clarify, uh, the, the players were given proof of the insurance. I think the other three were yet to be met, um, but they did get their proof of insurance to, to make sure that they, they would be uh, safe and uh, covered if, if anything were to happen. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And so, I mean, there's really no easy way to transition from everything that's happening in the National Women's Hockey League. Um, but I suppose uh, the silver lining, if you will, is that uh, women's hockey hopefully we'll still have a place. And that is because we also have CWHL action, including, um, should we call it an upset? Maybe a sweep. I'm oh, all definitely. about it. EA. I think upset <laughs> city in Montreal and shout out to the Toronto Furies who everybody thought because they had a shootout loss or a overtime, uh, win against the, the blades that, you know, they might be at the end of the bucket, but Furies this weekend, they, they kind of took it to less Canadians and Kyle, I'm not sure if you got to see this game, but I, I was jumping out of my seat the first night on Saturday when uh, Toronto scored a, a late goal to, to take that game against West Canadians. I, I didn't, but, you know, just looking at the, the box score after the fact here and the recap that I've seen after the fact, you know, this is just, as you said, a great win for Toronto. This is this I would call a huge upset, but I also think that Toronto is, is a team that is going to be in the mix. You know, we met, we talked about Toronto the last couple of weeks, and, and Spooner and, and especially the younger players for, for Toronto have played very well uh, to start this season, and and I was shocked that they were able to beat the the Canadians. But when you, you keep Lay's Canadians down to one goal, you have a shot to win that game, and that's exactly what what the Furies were able to do. Yeah, EA. I know you're a big fan of Julie Chu, and when I saw the score last weekend with Julie Chu getting on the scoreboard with the Blades, I was like, wow, this is this is going to be great for Montreal. Once they have everybody, this team might be unstoppable. And then this weekend comes around, I'm like, wait, a 2-1 loss and a 5-2 loss. And in that third period, in that second game, 
that's really what when Toronto kind of showed me, hey, you know, we're the real deal this season because it wasn't like Montreal wasn't putting shots on net. Toronto just countered uh, on odd man rushes, and they put plenty of shots on on net. So what are your thoughts about the Toronto Furies and this big win against Montreal? Well, you know, I think that a lot of people have been looking to see how a lot of draft picks were going to shake out for everybody. And, I mean, also, Montreal, they had a really tough final. So we've seen them play, let's say, not the best um, the best performance, um, even in big games. So they're not um, dominant to, to the extent that they're unable to be beat. It just seems that, though, when they get beat, they pretty much get beat. Uh, and this weekend was really tough, um, I think. But I think it's great. I think you want to see a league where on any given day you can hit the ice and every team can give you um, – a run for your money that makes for exciting hockey. I mean, you know, when you talked about the blades a little bit earlier, did anyone expect for, what was it? Was that the first game to go into, you know, um, overtime and, and, you know, was anyone expecting that? I don't know. Um, so I think that's exciting. And I think um, the CWHL obviously celebrating 10 seasons this season um, has been able to find ways to really get, the, and, and keep the talent pool even. Um, and any team knows that um, they have a chance and they just need to stick to their game plan and, and good things will happen. And Kyle, you talked about the youth and Natalie Spooner. I think you were thinking of Michaela Kava, who has nine points, four goals and five assists. Uh, for Toronto, and, and that's the great thing about this team is, like you said, they have that leadership and that experienced player who has stepped up, but they also have that youth and that, that young player in, in Kava who has been able to, to fill a void that the, the Furies didn't really have last year. And the good thing about uh, Toronto as well is they're using two goalies, and we saw a team like Calgary do that last year, and it benefited them going into the Clarkson Cup championship. So with Vanderbach, Vanderbach and Kessler, you might want to be careful with Toronto because they're going to have really well-rested goalies as long as Kessler doesn't get the majority of the starts. Yes, and I think that the, what I would say actually is Toronto's strength this year. What they gained is is the the um, rookie defensemen. So, yes, you're using Vanderbleek and you're using Kessler, but you have some very solid defensemen especially the, the two rookies in Ambrose and, and Renata Fast, who, who keep the, the pucks away from whether it's Kessler or Vanderbleek, whoever's in net. And, and that just helps them be able to contain teams, especially a team like, like what we saw with Lays Canadians, who had been scoring ridiculous amounts of goals against other teams, and they were able to slow down that, that great offense um, on both occasions, both on, on Saturday and Sunday. Yeah, Kyle, another great defensive player on that Toronto team, Carly Eusippi or Carly Campbell Eusippi. Um, she's also having a phenomenal year, five points on the season, four, four helpers, one goal in ten games played. So you're absolutely right. That defense for Toronto, uh, four rookies, and they're, they're pretty much leading the rookie, uh, rookie class in, in contributions to the team. Uh, and you throw in Michaela Cava in there as the forward. That, that rookie class for Toronto is definitely doing some work. 
Uh, let's talk about that other game, Kyle. The Inferno, they came in the best team in the league. They actually suffered a defeat that same night that Montreal loses to Toronto. So everybody's like, well, it's all right. You know, all the standings are even. Um, but and then they go out and, you know, they lose that game 5-2. to two, And then they go out on Sunday and defeat uh, Brampton Thunder 4-1. to one. This was a tale of two different games, in my opinion. In the first game, it just looked like Calgary really wasn't there. Brampton uh, was skating up and, uh, up and down the ice on them, uh, finding opportunities and converting. And then you look at that second game, Calgary just outshot uh, Brampton. They put a lot of goals on and just dominated possession in that game. What were your thoughts on, on that series? Yeah, I mean, this is <laughs> – this Brampton team has underplayed so far this year. And, and we talked about uh, Calgary and, and Lays Canadians both being undefeated heading into this weekend. And then, like you said, they both lose uh, the, on the Saturday night. And Brampton just, as I said, they've underperformed. You haven't had a, a ton of goal scoring by their, their top goalie, goal uh, scorers. And so this is a game where they really broke out. This is a game where – Jamie Lee Rattray was able to actually uh, penetrate, was actually able to put great shots on net, leading the way with, with uh, plus four on the night and, and one goal, one assist. You need her to score to be able to bring the rest of the goal scorers with her. I mean, we saw Rebecca Vinn play so well last year, and she really hadn't, hadn't been able to put it together this year. She got an assist on the night didn't score any goals, but just that she's involved, she's in the action, she's she's helping push the puck for, for Brampton is, is what they need to do. The games that they won last year were ones that they were able to score, outscore teams. They weren't a, a team that was going to shut you out. They were going to outscore you, and, and they haven't been able to do that up until that Saturday night game. And as you said, then we look forward to Sunday, and, and they fell apart again. But uh, for one day, at least, you could say that they were able to be the Brampton Thunder that they're supposed to be. Yeah, I think a big part of that was kind of Jess Jones, you know, finding her role on this team. Um, she's the leading point getter. She she has three goals and six assists. And, you know, when you look at that Brampton team, it's it's also very young. And, they, you know, the next leading scorer is a, is a rookie in Laura Stacey. So they, I think they're struggling to find their identity. But once, like you said, once they do, I think that they can be ready, very, excuse me, very competitive in this league um, and, and compete with some of these teams. Yeah, so moving on, EA, do you have any thoughts on the Inferno and Thunder? You know, I didn't, I didn't get to keep up with this game as much. Um, I was focused on, on the NW stuff, but I think it's interesting now we've seen the two undefeated teams fall, if you will, this weekend. So I guess, um, you know, everything resets. And like I said earlier, it's, it's, I think it's going to be an exciting season and very much like what we were talking with um, Ashley and Tatiana about, you know, sometimes it takes teams a little bit to, to get adjusted. So I think um, down the stretch, it's going to be really exciting to see who gets to the Clarkson Cup. And I think EA said it right before too, is that all four teams that we've that we saw this weekend, anyways, they're all very even and they all can beat each other on any given day. And I think that's a great thing. I think what really helped Calgary in that second game, though, was Jean-Vierre Lacasse. When you have her in net, it is very difficult to score goals. And and Brampton found out the hard way on Sunday because she was just. She was just a, a wall in front of the net, as she always is. And, and my wonderment on this is, 
is is Lacasse more suited to be in net for the big games for the Inferno than Mashmeyer? Simply because she's been in the league longer and she's seen this type of play a little longer. Well, I for one say yes. Um, you know, you, you got to respect talent for sure, but they call them rookies for a reason, you know. Um, and there's two goalies on that team in Calgary who've who've been through the ringer. They know um, one is a, a reigning Clarkson Cup champion, and the other was on a team where she was consistently breaking records for, um, for, for saves because that's how many shots she was taking, um, you know, and, but also who has seen success in the league. So I don't think that you can deny the experience that those keepers bring. And so I don't know if it's just big game scenario thing that you need to be able to have Mashmeyer break break herself in, so to speak, and get accustomed to what is essentially the next level after her definitely of her NCAA career. And now she's playing more consistently than she does when she's with the national team, when she's with Team Canada. So she's got to adjust to that. Um, and I think you need to give her time, um, but you also have to respect what you've got. Definitely. When you've got, you said it right on, when you've got Delaney Bryan and you've got uh, Genevieve Lacasse ready in net, you know, Mashmeyer is, is a great young goaltender, but, you know, if we have to think about who the one, two, and the three are, I mean, I, I'm putting both Delaney Bryan right now and uh, Lacasse ahead of Mashmeyer. Not to say that she's not amazing and not to say that that's not probably the best one, two, three combination any team that has ever been, but uh, I think she's behind Delaney Bryan and, and LaCasse. Yeah. And I mean, I get wanting to, to have your go-to. I get that. Um, Which is why sometimes, I mean, talking about the Riveters last season in particular, Wiseman kind of drove me crazy. I was pulling my hairs out, not knowing who was going to start in net. So I get it. Um, However, I think also there is something to that tactic, you know, create a little healthy competition, allow those women to grow and learn from each other so that now they're all being challenged. And hopefully maybe you don't, see a huge facelift, so to speak, in the way that they approach the game, but they learn and pick up tricks from each other, and that just makes all of them stronger. Yeah, and to jump on that, Kyle, I think, you know, it really gets lost amongst the fans that the the third goalkeeper on this roster is Delaney Bryant, and we saw last year what she was capable of. We saw against the Boston Blades what she was capable of when uh, Calgary was missing half their roster. So um, it's really incredible to to see what Calgary did this offseason and to see how it's paying dividends right now uh, in in the beginning half of the season. I think they're a fun team to watch as well. I mean, I got to see that game here at UMass Boston, and uh, even though I'm a, I'm a big Blades fan, it was just really cool to see how they worked offensively uh, and just worked into the attack. So um, I'm interested to see how they, how they finish out. Like EA said, the standings have kind of shaken up a bit now that um, – some teams have played more games than others. There are three teams tied with 12 points. Obviously, again, some teams have played more games than other, others, but the Furies, the Inferno, and Les Canadiens are all tied for first with 12 points currently going into next weekend. 
Which is huge because we just no, talked yeah. last week. Oh. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, no, no. I was just gonna say that's huge because last week we just were saying, you know, well, uh, the Canadians and and uh, the Inferno are really starting to break away. You know, they're both six and zero. Oh, and I, I said last week we're gonna wait until December tenth to see them play each other, and that's gonna be a huge matchup. Well, guess what? Uh, I was wrong because the huge matchup already happened this past weekend when they both lost. So you know, it's it's great that we're not focused on two teams. There are there are four great teams in this league that are all very even right now. And you know, not to take anything away from the Blades, Kyle, I, I think they played a great second game last weekend against Montreal. Yes, it was six to two, but they led twice in that matchup before Montreal kind of turned it on in that third period. And we all know that the Blades have been a team that's been in rebuilding. But I, do, I don't want to take anything away from them either. I do think that they can come away with a couple of wins this season, um, and I, I hope they come away with a couple of wins this season um, and, and might, you know, play spoiler a little bit later in the year. I mean, we all certainly hope so. I mean, I think you never want to see a team, um, you know, just overmatched all year. I do think, as we talked about a couple of weeks ago, I do think that they are a young team that can only get better. Um, so, yeah, I'd like to see them – Pull out a couple of wins at least. <laughs> All right, so from CWHL and NWHL talks, let's move it to the college game. We saw some great NCAA hockey this weekend, a lot to get to. Kyle, number one, finally goes down and drops a game <laughs> to Minnesota Duluth. Minnesota Duluth, I, I, you know, again, I went into this year like, oh, Minnesota Duluth, um, they're not going to be that good, but they returned, and again, I'm going to say this, I think they returned the best line in all of college hockey this season. Um, and you can see that when they played Wisconsin and beat them on Saturday, I mean, excuse me, on Friday, uh, Wisconsin did look like the better team on Saturday, so they split. Let's talk about this number one seed and this number three match, uh, number one and number three matchup for the weekend, Kyle. Uh, you're a big fan of Davian. What did you think about this, uh, this contest? Well, I mean, we also have talked a lot about Minnesota Duluth and just how solid of a team they really are. And and they just proved that they are a, a team that a Wisconsin or a Minnesota can't overlook. It, those, are, those are the three teams right now coming out of the WCHA that all have a, a shot. I mean, you, you, every team that faces them when we get to the, the, the final eight are going to be scared. They are going to have to – uh, fight for their lives against those three teams. And, and we may very well see a, a final between two of those three teams. So, I mean, just that that they could win that game on Saturday just proves that they're not out of it. They they have a shot any time that they're going to face, um, like I said, as, whether it's Wisconsin, whether it's uh, Minnesota. Minnesota Duluth has, has great goals, goaltending. Um, they have uh, an offensive power that can uh, score, but we've also seen them sometimes take a, a little bit of a uh, a break sometimes too. So that game doesn't surprise me. The only thing that I would say surprised me a little was uh, Anne Renee Davians, who you know I, I do really like. Um, giving up four goals is 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 a lot for her. I mean, to, to be able to put four in the back of the net for, for uh, Minnesota Duluth is huge. And, and to spread the puck and you have, you know, four different goal scorers on the game, um, you know, shows that they, they are a very 
diverse team that can score from multiple different ways. Yeah, Kyle, you know, three of those goals coming in the third period, so that mm-hmm. that pressure um, going up against uh, against uh, Wisconsin – um, for Minnesota Duluth, you know they were they were outshot in that match of forty six to thirty, but they still ended up winning. So uh, I, I think that was a huge performance. EA, I want I want to kind of swing it over to you because Minnesota Duluth they have kind of a, a I don't want to say an easy schedule, but they play at Harvard and Maura Crawwell coming back to uh, to the Northeast to to play her former school where she coached, um, and then they play Saint Cloud State, Saint Cloud State, and Minnesota State before they uh, have a January matchup with number two ranked Minnesota. Um, what are your thoughts about number one, Wisconsin, and number three, Minnesota Duluth? Well, I think, you know, they're coming out of a really great conference. I mean, mostly because they're two-thirds of the, the trifecta. Um, so, um, you know, I think that there's great hockey. You mentioned Wisconsin, Minnesota Duluth, and um, St. Cloud. We've talked about players on this podcast that have gone – to all of those schools. So, uh, and, and that being from um, the NWHL and the CWHL, actually, um, Julie Chu um, has ties. Um, anyway, all that to say, as far as whether one team has, um, you know, an easier road than another, that might be so. And sometimes the schedule works in your favor, but if that's the case, at least on paper, what a team needs to do is really hunker down and find ways to challenge themselves and continue to play their game. And those are what elite programs are able to do. And that's what they understand. They're not just playing whomever the competitor is. Um, They're they're playing and competing against themselves in, in a manner of speaking, or I should say really trying to, to best their, their um, best performance. And I think that's really a mentality that you have to have going into any game. And that's how you're able to, you know, stay a, a program that despite, you know, turnover every year with seniors graduating, that's how you can maintain your position at the top is by having that kind of a mentality. So I think that's what's going to need to happen there. And when these, when those two teams, when teams with that history and that culture, when they collide, Oh man, it makes for, for some exciting, um, in this case, hockey. So always looking forward to that. And you both have mentioned the conference. Um, We talked about two teams of the three. The third team is number two ranked Minnesota with only one loss on the season, but they were taken into shootouts twice against conference foe number nine ranked North Dakota. So just talking about all these ranked teams in the WCHA, um, it's incredible. But even even just the competition, we talked about this last year, Kyle, when you look at the depth top to bottom, obviously the best conference in, in all of college hockey. But when you, you're in the shootout against number nine, North Dakota, and you win twice, does that kind of give you experience for later on for those tournament pushes? I hope so. I mean, I, I hope that they're taking it as a learning tool because, you know, you can – you can wear yourself out that way as well, though. So um, hopefully they're learning from it and, and not going to as many shootouts. Um, I think that would be even more beneficial for them. Um, I just want to jump on one before we switch off to of Wisconsin, though. Um, that second game, we, we've got to talk about – we've got to just mention, anyways, Andy Pankowski with the, uh, with the hat trick and, and Emily Clark with four assists in that four to one victory for Wisconsin over Minnesota Duluth in the second game. 
but but yes, it, when you're talking about Minnesota, you know they're they're they are coming out of that conference, and it is a tough conference. And when you're playing North Dakota, whether you're playing Bemidji State, doesn't matter who you're playing, you don't want to go to too many shootouts. You don't want to go to too many overtimes. You got to take care of business in in the first sixty minutes. Absolutely, and. When when you're a team like that, well, looking at what Brad Frost has been able to do, Erica, I mean, in 10 years, he's put Minnesota on, uh, you know, a landscape with some of the greatest franchises of all the pro sports. You're talking about the Cowboys or uh, the Yankees when, when they were in their dynasty. What he's been able to do over at Minnesota is, is I mean, it should be – top, top story of, 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 of coaches or, you know, coaches that are one of the coaches that people idolize uh, to be like, I mean, again, that could be different, but, but what are your thoughts on that? You know, uh, it's hard for me to say because I'm, I'm still coming into, especially ice hockey, um, relatively new. So I don't have the, the fortune of knowing the history as well as, as you guys do, but I think it is important to share those stories. I think what we do here is we talk to a lot of different athletes and coaches and people involved in the game. And um, sometimes it, it feels like you're, you're out there on your own, that you're isolated. I mean, even what Lindstad said about women's hockey and the growth of women's hockey throughout um, and that this is, while it's very tough, these pay cuts are tough um, and they're unfortunate. It's, it's nothing that, that the game hasn't seen before. So, so, taking that now to a coach that may or may not be getting their, their due shine, if you will. I I think that really has to be, um, you know, that we have the opportunity to share those good stories and and to make those comparisons. And I think that's important. And that's what's missing from all of women's sport, which is why we do what we do. Um, So, you know, it's always tough when you're not also ice hockey, isn't football in America. It isn't, even baseball in America, the hockey in general has. Um, and so hopefully that'll change. And I think you just got to, as coaches, as players, as programs, continue to grow. And again, do what you can do to beat yourself, uh, outshine yourself. And those things will come. That's very well said. Yeah, and, and absolutely very well said. And go ahead, Kyle. And, and it's clear too, like he said, like the program, that, that has been built there in Minnesota, and you do talk a lot about it. And and some of the names that, that if you're following the NWHL, but maybe not uh, following uh, NCAA quite yet, you know, but names that were just in that most recent draft class for the NWHL uh, coming out, the juniors that are now seniors coming out of Minnesota at the end of this year, like Lee Steckline uh, for Minnesota. Um, you know, Sarah Potomac wasn't in the draft yet, but if you – uh, heard any of the coverage from from IW Sports last year at the NCAA uh, championships? She had a great um, NCAA championships last year. She was the MVP of it. Had another great uh, game in, against North Dakota, even though it was a a two two overtime. She had one, the one goal and she had an assist on the other one. Another uh, person coming into the NWHL if she chooses to stay in uh, stay in the nation is uh, uh, Danny Cameron. Camer- Sorry, Cameron Messi um, and Kelly Panic both. Um, so this Minnesota team is stacked, and and as you mentioned, you know Brad Frost has done such a great job bringing players in. Uh, just this week, also Sarah Potomac's younger sister just signed with Minnesota. 
to start going to, to, to be a gopher uh, next year as well with her sister. Um, and we talked a lot about North Dakota a couple of weeks ago, Lou and I did, and, and the goaltending. And, of course, in this uh, both of these two games, you saw another great uh, goaltending performance from Lexi Shaw. Uh, keeping the Minnesota Gophers at, at, down at only two goals, which is tough to do um, anytime you face the Gophers. Absolutely. And, you know, when you talk about the talent pool, you mentioned, you know, looking at the NWHL. Right now, two of the most recent draft picks in Haley Skorupa and Alex Carpenter lead the league in points. So uh, it, it's, it's incredible with what rookies can do, but it's also – goes to show you that there's a great talent pool of athletes waiting to get into the professional game um, and we are pretty much excited to, to keep covering that and it's going to be really uh, really interesting to see that uh, what happens at the end of the season with, with the NWHL and the CWHL um, right now what looks like heading in opposite directions but again we uh, will wait and see. Another point before we move on from hockey, BC and Northeastern, another top 10 matchup. That happened on Sunday, uh, a 2-2 tie. But I, I want to touch on this with both of you. The ECAC, they're coming out of nowhere. They have four, four ranked teams. St. Lawrence is up at number four. Colgate at number five. You got Quinnipiac in there kind of finding their stride. This weekend we saw St. Lawrence shut out Yale and Boston. And then Colgate, they actually fell to Princeton and number eight, Quinnipiac. But the ECAC is getting out there, and a lot of people thought it was just going to be the WCHA and Hockey East. But, but what, are you, what are your thoughts on, on this conference and these teams kind of outperforming the critics? Well, unfortunately, I think if you're a fan of Hockey East, you should be scared because I mm-hmm. think this is a sign that the ECAC is, is starting to move maybe ahead of Hockey East um, when you talk about all-around talent. You're still going to have your top teams coming out of the uh, Hockey East, but but there are just a number of teams coming out of the ECC, and the at-large bids may actually go, more at-large bids may end up going to the ECAC than Hockey East this year. I mean, and, and what I'll just add is that, it, hey, let's grow the game. I mean, but if you look at some of these ECAC hockey programs, uh, what are we seeing at least? And, again, this is me coming into hockey from the NWHL. I noticed these teams because of their alumna who are playing in the National Women's Hockey League. And this is something we can check the record books in 2016 that I've mentioned before. And I think it's a a salient point now that the NWHL is having these financial troubles. What is the relationship between these conferences for women's hockey and women's professional hockey? I know that it's very, um, let's see, I'm trying to, trying to be kind. Um, (laughs) Everyone likes a feel good story of a young girl watching her first hockey game, putting on her first skates. But we have to remember that little girls grow up to be teenagers and grow up to be young women and grow up to be college students and then adult females. And there's an entire spectrum of a fan base that we miss if we're not engaging in the the development levels, not only in the youth programs at the cute, like U8 to 12, maybe 14, but all the way up when women are starting, girls and women are starting to get competitive in sport. And so I want to see more of a concentration 
in these schools. And I mean, this is maybe, I don't know if it's a bold prediction, but maybe more of a, of a theory that, you know, you're seeing ECAC get a little more shine because uh, Megan Duggan, she coached in the ECAC last year. Uh, you have uh, RPI, uh, let's see, Princeton, Quinnipiac. I can think of, you know, a bunch of players that are in the NWHL market that go to these schools. And don't think it hurts either the leagues, both the CWHL and the NWHL. And it certainly doesn't hurt the program to associate themselves with the talent that's that's coming out of college and into the professional ranks. And then, of course, by an extension to national programs as well. Yeah, yeah, I think that's a great point. One thing that I noticed this year um, that I didn't notice last year, I guess, with some of the draft picks was uh, when I go to games or when I'm doing broadcasts, they have, or hockey broadcasts, they have, you know, the NWHL team that they, the, the person is drafted to. And I think that's awesome because on that program, you get to see, you know, all yeah. the stats about your favorite player, but you also get to keep track, oh, they're graduating next season. They're going to play in this league. Oh, nice, you know, and you get to, you get to see that. Um, I guess that relationship that you're talking about where it's like, hey, keep following these players as they progress professionally. Um, but I, I agree 100% with the notion that the league should be more invested in NCAA hockey um, and, and have more of a presence. Just like any other sport, you see the, the talent filter through these leagues, but it's because there's, there's camps, there's trainings. And I, I agree with you 100% again that it's kind of we get the youth but we miss that middle ground. We miss those teenage and those college-aged kids because we're so focused on, on the future generations, but there's still that, that middle gap that we still need to kind of cater to uh, and help grow the game as well. Absolutely. And you know what? Go and find these businesses, local or international, um, you know, national businesses, and have them underwrite that. Um, you know, have them commit to girls and women. Have them commit to growing sport. Have them commit to providing opportunities for female athletes who are on scholarships who are then going to be professionals in some other field. Um, it, make that investment. Those those opportunities need and are important for women to have. We're talking about in sports, but that's important, period, point blank. And I think that for the sake of the league, right now we're talking about the NWHL, but even just for the sake of, of women's programs, you really need to get creative in what those partnerships are and not be afraid to look at this as a business transaction. Hey, we have a growing market here. We have Olympians who've come through our program that continue to, to come here and, and choose to, to play hockey here, we have exposure. We have a, a, a viable market, definitely through social media. You know, now give us the opportunity to, to give you a little shine and, and have you as an ally. And, and then we'll have people who will start banking at your institution. They'll start eating at your restaurants. When they look to buy cars, they might, want to go somewhere that they know supports women because you know what unfortunately in 2016 almost 2017 you're that's cutting edge supporting girls and women is cutting edge it's it's a competitive advantage it's an opportunity cost that a lot of businesses aren't taking so why don't you be a little different and do some good while you're at it boom mic drop <laughs> just walk away yeah just i mean I'm we dead. had sound I'm effects dead. We, we, we'd have Done. to use them all. Is it, is, can, am I still on? Do you hear me? 
I mean, the mic was already dropped, so. Okay. All right. All right. I think it's a great idea, and I think also, you know, like you mentioned, Lou, you know, I went to a hockey school. I went to Merrimack, and and used to be able to see in the program, you know, this person was drafted by the Vancouver Canucks. Well, now we're starting to see that in, in as you said, the uh, college players are able to say, I was drafted by, you know, the New York Riveters. And, and maybe that does bring more fans to, to follow that player after they leave. Because, yeah, they might have followed Amanda Kessel, let's say, into the Olympics, and they might have watched her there. But now they have the opportunity, if they were big Minnesota Gopher fans, to now be able to watch her, hopefully when she gets healthy and back on the ice, playing for the New York Riveters and, and able to watch those games streaming live on, on nwhl.zone uh, if you click on videos. You know, and that's a great thing that people all over the world are able to follow that now. And, and I agree with EA. People are not taking advantage of – and I don't want to say taking advantage of because that sounds horrible, but but not taking the opportunity to support more women's sports. And I think Tatiana and Ashley both mentioned a great a great opportunities to kind of get sponsors for the for themselves. And I think once more of these players put their stories out there and much much of the league to these businesses that that haven't seen it or haven't really gotten the wherewithal to be like, hey, yeah, I'm going to support this. Once they hear a story like Tatiana's, I'm pretty sure they'd be willing to, to give a couple of bucks, uh, thousands of bucks to, um, to help and to help support. And I think that's a great point, EA, is once they start investing, we might see one of the greatest things ever. Uh, and we won't have to say in 2020 or 2030, man, we're still trying to break barriers here and we're still trying to do good, you know? And, and I think that's a big point that, that needs to get out there. And more people, more businesses, as EA said, need to start supporting um, not only the NWHL and hockey, but, but all of these leagues that, that promote young girls to, to follow their dreams and to have an opportunity to play professional sports uh, where there is a passion. Um, that's a, it's a great conversation. I don't want to cut anybody short. Uh, any other thoughts before we move on to NCAA field hockey? No, let's get into it. I'm excited to hear what you've got to say about this, Lou. Oh, I'm so let's excited, Kyle. Winner, winner. I mean, I'm, I'm, so, all right, I got a story for, for <laughs> both of you. So, I, <laughs> I, I really, like, I had no idea about field hockey. I really didn't. I, I'm being honest. I had, I had my first experience this, this Summer Olympics just watching the USA field hockey team kind of make a spectacular run. And I was like, wow, why, why wasn't I hip? You know, like, this, this is cool. And I got to broadcast a field hockey game for Boston College this, this, you know, this season, and that was like, wow, like, I, I got to get into this more. Uh, talking to Chelsea Fioli, a former BC alum, she was telling me about a program that she ran and um, how, how, you know, that's been growing. So I really got into it. So this, this NCAA championship, I wanted to follow it, um, and I wanted to follow it kind of the right way. So I started learning more. And, you know, I'm looking at the stats. I'm like, wow, North Carolina is a pretty good program. Um, you look at a program like Maryland, and um, they were just dominant in the past couple of years. Now, you look at one of these small schools, and I'm a big fan of this, Kyle. I think you know this um, because we talk about it a lot. But once, once there's a Cinderella story, I don't care if you're my favorite team or not, I'm probably going to root for that Cinderella story. 
Um, and Delaware, they were kind of that Cinderella. They haven't made an, a, a national championship since 1982. They're, uh, they're, they made me, the semifinals since 1982. They haven't made a championship since 1978. Um, so I was really excited to see this national championship. On one side of the bracket, we had two powerhouses, uh, in North Carolina, and I'm blanking on the other team. Um, but and then in the other one, we had Delaware and Princeton, so two Cinderella stories. So you knew you were going to get kind of a, a great matchup in the finals. And Delaware ends up, you know, taking a 2-0 lead. They, it, it, I'm going crazy because I'm at a birthday party. It's, it's my caretaker's uh, 70th birthday party. And, you know, I'm sitting here on the laptop while everybody's watching football, eating cake, and, and, and conversing. I'm sitting here watching the national championship of field hockey on my laptop, and every time one team scores, I'm, I'm you know, throwing my hands in the air, and it's, it's amazing. Um, so, yes, a long story short, UNC has made the last five of seven national championships. They won in 07, and they won in 09, but since then they've made five of the last seven. The only two they didn't make were, were two that UConn ended up winning championships in. Um, so this was their, their fifth appearance in seven, in seven tries, and Delaware – they give up a 2-0 to zero lead in the second half. Just to get the lead back, Greta Nock, who we actually shouted out for Top Player Tuesday, she scores the game-winning goal, uh, 5.56 remaining in the second half. They hold off a tough UNC attack, and they claim their first-ever NCAA national championship. The Delaware Blue Hens are your 2016 field hockey national champions. Did I do it justice? Where am I, where's my cricket buddy? I think you nailed it. I mean, I was letting it simmer. I was just going to, like, ride that off. I think it was great. <laughs> Blue Hens, you know, I wonder I, – you know, I didn't I didn't keep up with it, but I don't know if uh, Deladon had any um, any tweets for her uh, for her fellow Blue Hens out there. But, uh, you know, she gets pretty into it when she's, when she's uh, rooting for her teams, whether it's uh, soccer or softball. So I got to look – I got to do some research on that. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's great too. Like you said, this is a, a national powerhouse. This is UNC, who is in it year after year. They're perennial, and th- and then you have that Delaware team that th- this could be the last time that they're in it for another thirty years, and it's the first time they're in it for thirty years. You know, and any opportunity that you get to to win something like this uh, for for not only for the players but for the university is really makes makes the whole university the pride that goes into uh all sports really really helps the delaware blue hens as you said you know really feel like you know what we're we're champions and we can do it in in other sports too and i think that's a a great stepping stool for hopefully basketball season or or uh, maybe the volleyball season coming up uh, finishing up soon now as well for for the delaware blue hens well, Kyle, that's, that's a great point as well. This was their first national championship in any sport since 2003 when the football team, uh, when the football program won the 2003 FCS championship uh, and their first national championship for a women's sport since their lacrosse team won in 1983. So um, you can catch the recap on MyW Sports. We just posted it today. Uh, definitely go give it a read. It's one of the best stories I got to write because I, I was really invested in it. Um, and I was really just excited to, to put together the recap. So a lot of statistical facts in there. So go check it out on MyWSports.com. Again, the Delaware Blue Hens defeat 
the North Carolina Tar Heels 3-2 to two to claim the 2016 National Championship. One other note, just, just to throw this out there, but I also thought it was great that you saw different teams. You saw UConn kind of resurgence, their resurgence of a national, uh, of a national program. Um, they lost to UNC in that semifinal. And, again, just, just shutting out Princeton. They came in with an at-large bid by the Ivy League, which really rarely happens. Um, and they made it all the way to the national semifinal. Obviously, they lost to the eventual champions, but uh, shout-out to the Princeton Tigers for their phenomenal run as well. Uh, EA, we saw some upsets in this tournament, but, I mean, uh, upsets in soccer? Yes, and we will get to those upsets in soccer, but I want to first go back to we talked about North Carolina, and while field hockey might not have worked out for 2016, we do see that the North Carolina Tar Heels are they're still they're still uh, alive when it comes to NCAA soccer, women's soccer. So we um, are now down to the Elite Eight, so let's talk about what happened. We saw that Santa Clara beat NC State. That was a 3-0 victory for Santa Clara, and it was Virginia. Virginia uh, was blanked by Georgetown, so that will be Santa Clara and Georgetown that will advance. On the other side of their bracket on the top, we see South Carolina uh, defeat BYU. They also blanked BYU. That was a 1-0 victory. And North Carolina, they defeat Clemson 1-0. Now, you want to talk upsets you say so we're gonna have to go down to the other side of the bracket here and let me see let me see let me see do i see do i see do i see anywhere stanford stanford is stanford in the house no they are not stanford was defeated they will not be moving on uh instead on this side of the bracket we have uh, duke west virginia usc and auburn um when they came down to what happened here, we see that Santa Clara, again, a lot of people seeing them as a Cinderella story. Um, you know, it's uh, Notre Dame and Stanford that fail to advance. Um, but as I mentioned, number two, Georgetown. And uh, as far as programs go, we talked about on hockey, uh, how there are some tried and true programs that are just kind of a staple of the sport. And that is definitely the North Carolina Tar Heels when it comes to women's soccer. So, fellas, w- what were you seeing? What surprised you? Uh, and what are some bold predictions as we move on with the NCAA tournament for women's soccer? I'll let you jump on first. I'm going to make a bold prediction first to say that uh, Stanford losing and Notre Dame losing are not the only two top seeds to go down. I I have my eyes set on on that Georgetown team going down next. Um, I think it's just a – I think that it's great that, as you said, Santa Clara is is able to uh, have that Cinderella story, and I hope that it can continue for them. And – you know, I think that it just goes to show that there's so many in soccer, the, the top programs are all so even. And especially when it's a one game, um, one game win and move on, anybody can beat anybody on any given day. And, and I, and like I said, I think that there are more top seeds to fall very soon. Uh, and yeah. 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 I think, I think we Go have ahead. a great matchup with North Carolina versus, uh, South Carolina on the top of the right bracket uh, in that elite eight. I think that that one, you know, you call it a bold prediction, but I think it might go into overtime. I do think if it goes into overtime, it will end up in PKs. 
Um, but I think that's the matchup to watch. Um, the other matchup is unfortunately on that other side as well, and I wrote about this on the first uh, – the first NCAA soccer preview on MyW Sports. I'm a big fan. I've been a big fan of West Virginia all season. I also know how good Duke has been all season long and uh, what they were able to do last season. So I, I was asking some of the fans in my articles, who's the number three seed that can make a run in the tournament? Uh, and, you know, referring to last year, Duke being the only three seed to make it out of the second round. Um, Mm -hmm. And, and, you know, looking at their team this year, I thought, well, they can do it again. Um, And I do think West Virginia was a little, you know, they skated me a little bit against UCLA. Um, So I think that matchup, Duke and West Virginia, I do – all right, the bold prediction here is whoever wins that game wins the national championship. All right. You heard it here, folks. And so that is Duke. Number three, Duke taking on number one, West Virginia. That's November 26th, 3 p.m. Then we have USC-Auburn playing on November 25th, 4 p.m. And then we go to the other side of the bracket. We have Santa Clara-Georgetown. That's November 26th, 12 p.m. Georgetown, the number two seed on that side. And number one, South Carolina. Number two, North Carolina. The Carolinas clash on November 25th, 6 p.m. PM. Really excited for that Santa Clara matchup with Georgetown. As Kyle alluded to, I think that's going to be a good one as well, and hopefully uh, I'm all about upset. So we'll, we'll see if Sin, uh, Santa Clara's Cinderella story continues. Kyle, let's talk about some volleyball. We, we're getting close to the NCAA tournament in volleyball. Getting close, getting close. The selection show is this Sunday night, uh, so we'll find out what the brackets are uh, coming up just this Sunday night. Um, really, the, the story in volleyball is is that the Big Ten is is the the conference to beat heading into the tournament. Top three seeds right now: number one is Nebraska, number two is Minnesota, number three is Wisconsin. All out of the Big Ten <clears throat> this weekend, uh, all of them held suit, uh, winning the the games that they had. Minnesota was the only one that it was a little close. They had uh, two games this past weekend. Both went to five sets, but they won over both Michigan and Michigan State. When you look outside the Big Ten, you have the Big 12 really coming in strong as well with Kansas at the number four overall in the nation and Texas number seven overall in the nation as voted by uh, the American Volleyball Coaches Association. However, Texas comes in with the number two RPI rating, meaning that they have a very, very difficult schedule, and they are holding their own in that schedule. So uh, Texas, even though they're seven overall uh, by the coaches' vote, uh, it could be a team to watch out for just because of their strength of schedule so far during the regular season. Hey, do you see a team in that top 15 that, that Lou might like a little bit? <laughs> Uh, are you talking about Hawaii? Yeah, here we go. Absolutely, <laughs> I love this team. Yeah, you know they're, they're <laughs> going to be in. We saw it last year. We saw it the year before. We know that there's going to be a, a Cinderella story, like we just talked about in soccer with Santa Clara. There's going to be a Cinderella story. The question is, who is it going to be? Uh, but the Fighting Wahinas are definitely uh, going to be in the tournament and now it's just a matter of how how far they can go and which juggernaut they're going to knock off well we will find out on sunday with a selection show right kyle that's right 
And as we move on, EA, any thoughts on some uh, some volleyball? The volleyball, you know, I can't say that I know much about the volleyball, but I am pretty excited to to get some thoughts on uh, netball as it was known way back in the day, uh, <laughs> including, uh, you know, we, we have um, been outed as UConn fans here across the board at MyW Sports. Um, and, you know, they, they've had an interesting ride, lots of different headlines, but all in all, they do beat LSU. And convincingly, uh, so are we seeing the UConn of of the of of late um, being able to really um, step up to again the the hype, the dynasty, all of the her- the culture and heritage that comes with being a Husky. I think this is going to be a tough tough decision this year. I think we're going to see UConn be in that top. 10, top five, they're going to be there. Um, I just don't know that they have the firepower from what I've seen in the first uh, three games to really know that they're they're going to be uh, a, a team to be reckoned with as we get into the final four or later, like they have been the last four years. Um, you know, I, we, we, when you lose a player like Brianna Store, when you lose a player like Morgan Tuck, uh, when you lose a player like Jefferson – um, you know, you have some, some gaps to fill in. Now, that being said, that they do have some great returning players. I mean, Kia Nurse and, and Nafisa Collier and, and Katie Lou Samuelson, who was uh, the, the great freshman last year, who was supposed to really step up into that, that Brianna Stewart role. Um, you know, they're, they're all very solid players, but I'm just not sure that there's enough enough around them uh, to be able to take that team as far as, as the previous uh, four UConn Husky teams were able to do. So Kyle, I'll, I'll kind of disagree with you there. I think a lot of people are talking about losing that senior class, but what have we seen year in and year out that UConn is always a competitor no matter what. Um, and, you know, I think a lot, a lot was shown to me in that matchup against Baylor uh, Baylor was ranked number two at the time, and a lot of people had said, hey, Baylor's that team. Baylor and Notre Dame are the two favorites ahead of, of UConn going into the season. Um, they beat them by 11. So when you think about what UConn can do, I think the one game that showed that they were beatable was that Florida State game, but it also gives me confidence in Florida State. I know I'm an ACC guy, but when you think about Florida State not having Leticia Romero and still competing down to the wire against probably one of the best teams in the country. I, I think, you know, there's some things to say about UConn, but I don't think that they're as bad as people are making them out to be. I'm not saying that they're bad, but I think that there are other teams out there just return a lot more that mm. that I think are just stronger teams. And the one that I, I'm going to mention that, that you skipped over is Don Staley's South yes, Carolina I Gamecocks. How can about you it. not be talking about them in the top three? They are. They returned uh, at least their top three players, and they're they're a solid team all the way around as well. So, um, it, just because they're older, I think they're more mature. I think that they're they've played together longer. I, I think that the South Carolina Gamecocks are the team to beat in women's college basketball this year. Ooh, interesting! And uh, now, South Carolina. A 
there you go. And, you know, if all things stand, uh, South Carolina will be actually in Massachusetts uh, this coming weekend for the Basketball Hall of Fame tournament. So we hope to have some coverage from that. And uh, perhaps we'll see how bold that prediction of Kyle's is or isn't for that matter. But I think you're absolutely right. I think um, Dawn Staley has shown that she can be an effective, more than an effective coach and player at multiple levels. Uh, let's not forget that she is a part of the Team USA basketball system that has been unbeaten since she was a player. Um, and um, so I think it's going to be interesting to see what she's able to do. And this is a team that um, had a lot riding on them last season, and they didn't come through. So yeah. I think it's going to be interesting to see how they bounce back from that. Are they fueled up? Um, you know, are, are, has that fired them up? Are, do, are they going to be playing with a chip on their shoulder? And do they time to strike while the iron is hot. The last four years was all UConn, 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 in a manner of speaking, um, and rightfully so. But now that perhaps um, it's a it's a, um, a younger, uh, less experienced team, does that give opportunity for, as you said, Kyle, players that have been playing together who are veterans, as if you will, juniors, seniors, upperclassmen, to, to really um, take it to them? I think it's going to be interesting to see what how UConn responds um, because I do agree with you. I think USC has the edge. I think FSU is another team. You've got Baylor, um, you know, all of these teams that, I mean, two of those have already lost to UConn. But, again, it's early in the season. Things haven't clicked all the way. Maybe we're having a different conversation in a month or two. And as Lou said, another team, obviously, is the number one Notre Dame Fighting Irish. They topped number 17, Washington, 71-60. They look strong as well. And, and they definitely need to be thrown into that, that bunch, those top four to, to ten teams that we're going to have to talk about all year as well because they just have such a great offense. And, and Muffin McGraw is going to get them ready uh, to play UConn when they, when they play UConn because we know that, that she and Gino do not really get along. Um, they, they both respect each other, but both she wants to beat Gino more than anybody else. So um, it, it's going to be interesting how Notre Dame factors into this as well. Really, yeah, the, the big upset is, yep. Sorry, so What's the date? your calendar. That, that matchup is going to be December 7th, um, UConn there and number one, Notre Dame. Coming up soon. Yeah. And and really, as I was just going to say, then then we talk about kind of the big upset of the weekend or the the team that's kind of falling a little bit is is the Texas Longhorns, number eight right now. But they certainly are going to drop when the when the new rankings come out. They fall to one and two, and they lose to Mississippi State, seventy nine to sixty eight. Now Mississippi State is no slouch either. Uh, they're ranked number fourteenth uh, right now. Is oh, sorry, Texas falls to number fourteen. Mississippi State is ranked ten uh, right now. So. Mississippi State is a very good team as well. Absolutely. And, Kyle, you made a little note in our uh, our rundown sheet that I'm not too happy about. <laughs> I, I was simply saying that the ACC looks to be very strong so far this year. They are 50-7 uh-huh. as a conference altogether. Uh-huh. The ACC has had a great start with all teams – either with zero losses or one loss, except for the BC Eagles. Oh, man, you, just, you don't, don't go breaking my heart, Kyle. 
the ACC looked very strong this year, Lou, and and I'm sorry, I'm sorry that the Eagles are not performing so far this year. Um, but yeah, the the ACC looks very strong, and uh, like I said, combined overall, 50 wins, seven losses so far this year. That's incredible. I mean, yeah, I, I can't really tell you what's going on. I mean, going into this season, I thought we would be, uh, at this point, I thought we would be 4-0. I'm just being honest. Um, none of these teams really – Hartford maybe. Hartford definitely gave me a scare because a couple of years ago I saw Hartford with all the freshmen who have now become uh, seniors. So I think Hartford was the only real scare to open up the season. But to be 1-3 for the Eagles, I don't know, man. I think it's going to be one of those years. Could be, could be. I agree. Hartford, uh, Hartford has a solid team down there, and and uh, Coach Rosati has done a great job down there for for Hartford. But to lose a, a tight one to Seton Hall and a a tight one at the County Forum uh, to St. Mary's College, um, you know, it's like you said, not a not a great start to the season. But maybe things will will change their way when they head into uh, the ACC Big Ten Challenge uh, next week against Penn State. Hey, here's the positive, Kyle. We beat Boston University. Yep. <laughs> you won. You won the big one. <laughs> we we won the the, the the match that I think is probably going to be the highlight of our season. Oh no. Oh dear. Uh, all right, all right. Let's 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 move on before I get into some trouble here with my DC friends. Um, <laughs> LPGA EA mentioned this uh, at, at the top of our show, and as we're winding down, we want to get this out there. The LPGA CME Group Championship was won by Thailand's Ariana Jutanagarn. She won five times on the LPGA Tour this season, and although she didn't lift the trophy on the Group Tour Championship, she did walk away with some hardware uh, after it all settled on Sunday. As EA alluded, uh, talked about earlier, uh, Jutanagarn won the Player of the Year title season money title and the race to the CME globe along with a million dollar prize purse uh, that goes along with that. So shout out to Jutana Garn, who, who was probably one of the best players all season long and showed it in this last tournament, finishing 10 strokes of head of uh, the preseason favorite, if I might say Lydia Ko. So shout out to Jutana Garn claiming her first LPGA title. Any thoughts on that ladies and gents? Yeah, no. I mean, right. again, we've talked all season in the LPGA is just how how diverse the the winners have been, and, and how um, you know how we've heard so many different names this year, and, and I think it's a great sign to show the the strength and the parity of the LPGA. Absolutely, it's uh. So it, it's actually kind of marks the end of our real busy season here at MyW Sports. And as we talked about at the beginning of the show as well, is this is our one-year anniversary, and we are uh, more than delighted to be together for a year, bringing you live coverage on sports, not only collegiate but professional, uh, our features that we do. Uh, it, it's been an incredible journey. And I know, Kyle, we wanted to, to spend our last couple of 20 minutes, Kyle and Erko, all, all of us wanted to spend our last 20 minutes kind of talking about the last, uh, the last year. Um, and I'll swing it over to you, Kyle, to kind of get us started. Sure. So, I mean, kind of just thinking about the past year, you know, we, we were talking kind of about what are the highlights that, that we've had over the past year, whether it's, whether it's highlights that we've seen uh, in games, uh, whether it's, it's 
highlights of things that, that MyW Sports has been able to cover, whether it's just news stories that have just been, um, um, you know, something that has been awesome for us to be able to be a part of. So, so EA, I'll start with you. What, what are the highlights for you, for yourself? What is something awesome that you've been able to, to be a part of and, and maybe either a news story or just a, a game or something that, that really stands out for you as something you were able to do this year? Wow, that's a, <laughs> that's a really tough one. I mean, if I'm talking about someone who's been able to cover, um, or I should say who's been a fan of women's basketball and then now gets to cover women's basketball, I'd have to say that the one of the greatest experiences on this My W Sports journey has been uh, going to the Basketball Hall of Fame and one of my absolute favorite role models, players, uh, war number 22 because of her, um, being able to spend that weekend interviewing Cheryl Swoops was absolutely amazing. Being at her induction ceremony was absolutely amazing. And the only thing that kind of kept me grounded was the fact that, you know, and this is also kind of cool, but I mean, she and I spoke so much. I had so much time with her. There weren't other people that were there just to cover her as the only woman in the 2016 um, class. So that was bittersweet, I suppose, but all in all, it was an awesome moment and hopefully um, one that, you know, I'll get to experience again. And, and Lou, think about, you know, same thing, same questions for you, kind of the highlights for you, something that you've been able to do and or something that you've been able to, to see or be a part of this year. Again, I'll agree with EA. I think it's really hard to kind of nail down one specifically. And, um, you know, I think for, for me, the first one that comes to mind is being at the first and only so far Women's Winter Classic. Um, mm-hmm. Being able to be there and know when we talk about it that we were there when Deanna Lang got hurt. We were, we were the only entity to kind of give video streaming of, uh, of the Winter Classic and keep our fans and fans of the game uh, you know, up to date on what was going on. And I thought it was really cool to be at Fox Pro for a hockey game. You know, my first time going to a football game was after that uh, at Fox Pro. So, so to go there for a hockey game was just incredible. Um, and, and on a more personal note, I think, and, and this is not for brownie points or anything, but honestly, when, I, when I've gotten texts from you both about the things that you do and the appreciation that you have for, for what we do at MyW Sports, um, knowing that it means so much to you kind of reiterates for me the fact that what, what I'm doing and what we're doing with MyW Sports is very important, and it's not something that should get lost. And um, all the other stuff that people talk about, I think it's something that I, I really um, admire you both for, for kind of putting forth your best, best effort and, and showing that, you know, the little kid in you comes out when you're meeting a Cheryl Swoops or when you're at a ski event and you're meeting somebody. So um, I, I think those, those are kind of the things that stick out to me. What about you, Kyle? What's your, what's your moment? Well, you know, it's funny. So when EA started, she started to talk about basketball. And, and for me, you know, I'm going to go to the basketball event that, that I was able to share with EA. And mm-hmm. it was my first time going to Madison Square Garden and seeing Madison Square Garden and seeing USA Team Basketball uh, 
and and Team Australia and, and Team France and Team Canada playing in a, in a double header, and and I got to share that with with EA and 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 meet some of the the players that you know I, I was able to to see Sue Bird when she was in high school because she played in the Federation tournament in Glens Falls, New York. And at the time, I kind of didn't know who she was, but I knew she was going to UConn. I, I knew that that was a great thing. And then she became, you know, the Sue Bird at UConn that we all know and love and, and has had just an unbelievable career. And I was able to, to, to tell her that I was there at England's Falls and see her play in the Federation tournament as a high schooler. And, and now, you know, this is, what, 20 years later or, or just shy of 20 years later, and you know that's it was great that I got to to finally meet her, and and not just her but but everybody and they every player on that team was so welcoming and so they they were happy to to answer questions and to to um, you know help us out in in our trying to report what we were seeing and and the team that we were seeing going to the Olympics, um, and also to share it with EA and and be able to. Uh, work together with her that closely was awesome. And that's not something we get to do very often. So, so that was really an awesome thing uh, well, for me shut, that I, I remember. <laughs> that was beautiful. That was beautiful. <laughs> and, and I mean, just to, to kind of pick a, I, I also was thinking of a, an event as well, like a, a actual game um, that I was thinking of that I was able to see because, because I was there covering for my W sports. I think for me, I think back to uh, early in January of, of this, this past year, the first game coming out of the, the winter break from, for myself as well as a teacher, but um, the Boston pride lost that game to the Buffalo Buttes in overtime. And now we're sitting here November 21st, we're 11, almost 12 months later, and, and the Pride haven't lost a game since then. And 17 straight games, and, and not to put kind of a bad note at the beginning, but, but we didn't know what we were seeing at the time. We weren't sure if, if this Pride team was going to be able to, to turn it around and, and become you know, the team that they were supposed to be. And really after that win, that's what they did. And, and I think, again, when I think of a specific highlight of a game that, that we were able to cover and be at, I, I would, I would put that one up there. How about your game, EA? What was, what was that athletic event that you went to that you were just oh, like, man. whoa. <laughs> that's really, that's really tough. I'm trying to think back on all of them, you know, they kind of blend together. Um, I mean, I'll say this, um, it's, you know, we had been talking about Raquel Rodriguez for a while, and as it turns out, um, she scored uh, her first goal, it was a road game, and, you know, we just, I just happened to be there uh, for my W uh, to catch that, and, you know, being able to catch up with her after the game um, was really special, and to have her speak to all of her Spanish-speaking fans um, with a message talking about her first goal and just the relief that set in. And um, I think that was a pretty special moment Um, and just kind of an example of what has been really great. The, what we do here is, 
we we try really hard not to just cover sports for the sake of covering sports. Yes, we want more media coverage for women's sports, and that's important, but it's also important about how you go about doing that work. And, it, you know, the facts and the stats, all of that is important, but it's even, I think it's an even greater opportunity uh, when you get to sit down and talk with a player or a coach and, and really pick their brain about something that's really tough for them and that they're trying to work through and give them the time and space to think about that. Or in the example that I gave, get to be there when a player, you know, you've seen them struggle and you've had to ask them tough questions about them or their team. And you're, you're finally there to, to be able to now highlight um, something that will become a career milestone for them. Um, so, so I guess that's what I would say. And you look yeah, kind of along those lines. Yeah. For me, I, I'd say similar to, to EA along those lines, you know, they kind of all blend together, but I, I would say my first game at um, at a United Women's Lacrosse League game uh, here at home for for Bo- the Boston Storm, we just I think we had just finished interviewing Kristen Igo, uh, not too I think maybe two weeks after, and um, it's a great game between the Long Island Sound and the Boston Storm, and who scores the game-winning goal with just seconds to spare? Kristen Igo, and um, I thought for me that gave me chills to know. Um, that we had this guest, you know, this athlete, this person who was so invested in, and passionate about the sport that she loves. And she wasn't, you know, one of the greatest goal scorers uh, in the league this season, but she, she mattered when it mattered most. And I thought that was great to see that also being a BC alum. Um, I thought that was great. And, and even the same, um, the same kind of idea with Allison Cahill after her injury. And I went to a Boston yeah. Renegades game um, to, to see her and talk to her and, and, Feel, you know, kind of like you said, EA, we just talked about how great this was uh, of, I think it was her, her 100th win, and sure enough, the next game, she gets injured, and, you know, to sit there and see that, and to, to feel like, hey, she's talking to me like I'm a person, you know, I'm not a media, you know, like, we're just talking, we're, we're having natural conversation, I can only imagine that's what you had with Cheryl Swoops, um, EA, and, and that's, that, it's going to stick with me forever, just knowing, um, that we had this opportunity and, you know, to, to have these relationships be built off of uh, a similar idea that we're passionate about the same thing, uh, albeit you're playing and we're covering, but I think that's, that's something that's always going to stick with me through the game by game uh, basis. Yeah. And I'm going to jump in here. I know we've got another prompt, but I want to put a little bit of a spin on it. There've been a lot of wonderful moments that we've been able to cover. And then there's been a lot of really hard, tough topics, not just for the players, um, but for the fans and, and for the media, obviously, including the conversation that we had with Tatiana Rafter and Ashley Johnston on today's podcast. Um, so, so thinking about lawsuits, pay cuts, um, you know, equal you know, gender discrimination suits, um, different protests and, and media blackouts that have happened, um, I want to ask two questions. One, who have been your champions who've taken their leadership role above and beyond uh, their duty as far as a, a player on the field or on the court? And then the follow-up to that is, what do you hope to see in the women's professional leagues that we cover um, as we continue to cover them in what will be MyW Sports' second year? 
Well, I, th- I think for me, when I think about <clears throat> kind of what you were you were saying, is kind of like their leadership really came out and and they stood for something. Um, I think for me, I think I think about the Minnesota Lynx and I think about wearing wearing the Black Lives Matter shirts in their game uh, prior to their game, and then also after the game, and and they stood up for it. And you know they they got some backlash from the league. Um, they got some backlash from uh, police officers in Minnesota, but they stood up for what they believed, and and they went above and beyond going out and playing basketball. They were trying to make people aware that this is an issue that that needs to be at the forefront of people's minds, and we need to do something about it. And and no matter what happened, whether you know they they were fined, they didn't they didn't stop. They continued to to show that. It was a, a something that they believed in that they were going to um, continue to fight for. And, and what I would say for going forward, I, I hope that that more women feel like they can, more athletes can can uh, do something similar to that. Whether it's standing up for for Black Lives Matters or whether it's just the deplorable conditions that these athletes are playing in. You know, they, they have to believe that they have a voice because they do. And people are listening and people do see what they are doing and, and they can really affect uh, true change in, in society. Yeah, you, that's very well. That's very well said. And I, I, yeah, I'm going to go something with, with, with our conversation today. And I know Anya from the Connecticut Whale, she's been yeah. a phenomenal advocate for for women's hockey ever since she got into the league. And even I, I didn't get to know her until she was in the league, but even probably before that. Um, and I think some of the words that I, I saw from her uh, immediately after finding out the story were, were words of encouragement during the broadcast, nothing but encouragement. And this is a player who played in the league and, you know, from what I remember, or maybe I have it wrong, but she didn't get a roster spot this year. So she wants to stick around and do more things to help promote the league. So she became a broadcaster. She became an advocate for the league and not only the league, but women's hockey in general. Um, So to see her kind of, you know, be this college student a couple of years ago, growing into a pioneer by signing a contract with the NWHL and now kind of full-on accepting that role and, and making her life basically about it, um, I think that's huge. And, and a similar thing with Krista Petronic of, of the Boston Blades. She quit her job. She literally said, hey, I'm not going to work a full-time job anymore because I want to commit to growing the Boston Blades and growing the CWHL. Um, so I think the, those two women have shown me a lot, um, and, and I admire them for that. And they, they would probably be my champions uh, for, the past, for the past first year of, of my W Sports. Yeah, I mean, I I definitely thought of Anya as well. Uh, I think Krista's a great choice. And, you know, I know that, Kyle, you got to speak with her, which was amazing. Um, And if we're going to put a nice, pretty bow tie on this, I'm going to recommend, I'm going to name two women uh, who are fierce. They are fiery. uh, And, you know, some people can't handle that, but guess what? They're going to do it anyway. And the first the first honoree is Hope Solo. Uh, Hope Solo has been the number one goalkeeper definitely for Team USA. And I don't even know if you could say arguably, I think pretty definitively uh, internationally for a number of years, almost her entire career. And even 
though she she comes with her swag and and you know things that that might rub people the wrong way i don't think anyone can doubt that hope solo is a woman who is willing and able to use her voice to create a new opportunities and better opportunities for the women who will come behind her, um, such as the case where she just launched a new, I believe it's a clothing line, and she's still fighting for equal pay, although essentially the Federation, in my personal opinion, dropped her like a bad habit. Um, and so I think that just speaks volumes to how dedicated she is to her sport, um, but to the longevity of the sport. And the other woman, I hope she's out there listening. I'm surprised she ain't call in or anything. And that's got to be our, our good friend Colette from the New York Sharks. This woman is nonstop. She works tirelessly. And she she wishes that she could quit her full-time job, I'm sure, to do all the work that she does for the Sharks. And, you know, she's not afraid to, to say it how it is. Um, and that's really been able to bring her now to the close of 2016, where she does have a partnership with the New Jets. Her team continues to do well. There's so many great stories that came from the New York Sharks this year, and we're starting even to see some of the exposure. What was it, a Powerade? Was that Powerade that Gabby was on? Yeah, that yeah, commercial? Gabby, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and, and so all of that is, is not just Colette, but certainly – um, in part to Colette, and I just want to thank her and all the other guests we've had that have been able to allow us to do what we do. Yes, we're helping to bring exposure, but it, it goes both ways. They have to take their time out, and they have to see value in what we're trying to do, and so I want to thank Colette, the New York Sharks, uh, the Pittsburgh Passion, and all of the other women's pro uh, tackle uh, football teams and players that have been on the show, as well as all of our other guests. Um, we do what we do because we want to support what you do. Um, and so I just think we, we had to give some, some extra special love to, to the ladies, the women who've been able to, to join us on this podcast. Absolutely well said, and, and definitely a shout-out to, to everybody who's who's had uh, an opportunity to join us here on My W Sports, Sports Sunday. I know um, we've had a good good couple of months there. Where we had guests all the time, and, and even Colette would jump in all the time, and I think that was great, EA. Um, Kyle, before I wrap it up, anything coming from your end? No, no. I think we, we've hit a, a great uh... – a great talk on our one year anniversary and, and thank you again. Um, we mentioned it earlier, but again to Ashley and, and Tatiana for, for joining us tonight. And, and as EA said, hopefully we can continue to cover uh, all the different leagues in the coming year and, and support all women's sports uh, the way that it should be supported from all media. Absolutely. And EA, I'll let you wrap up with anything that you have left. Only thing I'd say is if you like what you're hearing, if you want the coverage to continue as we're able to have WHL players in the midst of what they're going through, then make sure you're supporting us. Follow us, like us, subscribe on iTunes to the podcast, and, you know, you can always donate to MyW Sports as well. Um, so let's grow the game together, as we like to say. Absolutely. And quick note here. Drexel downs number 11 Syracuse in NCAA basketball. You heard it here, folks, Ooh. first. I mean, first, Ooh. folks. <laughs> 
but there's that big upset for the night. Uh, and again, want to thank everybody for joining us. Obviously, Ashley and Tatiana for joining the show today. Kyle and Erica for being my guests as always. And such a great support for my W Sports. Again, as EA mentioned, if you like anything you hear, follow us on social media. Uh, check out our website at my W. Excuse me. At, check us out on social media, my W Sports at MyWSports, and go follow us online, www.mywsports.com. We bring you Motivational Monday, Top Player Tuesday, Women in History Wednesday, Throwback Thursday, and Friday Favorites. If you have any ideas, please shoot us a message. It is Motivational Monday. Our motivational quote comes from Kaylee Fracken of the New York Riveters. This week, obviously with everything going on, her quote is, I play for the future generations of female players. Remember that. Some of these women are pioneers and they're doing it for more than just money. Thank you for joining us on MyW Sports, Sports Monday. We hope you have a great week, and join us next week on Monday night.